0: To the construction big breakfast where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to
1: help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry now here's your hi host. everyone and thanks for tuning in i'm your host tip top tim fitch and welcome to the construction big breakfast today we'll be diving into some really interesting subjects really associated with the series of articles in the times and the sunday times which were having a real knock at construction over the past few weeks and by the way we we're recording this in uh, mid-may today uh, i'm joined today by our special podcast guest rob garvey so welcome rob welcome to the Rob uh, podcast can you give our listeners a little introduction to yourself
0: so a little introduction to myself uh yeah absolutely so Today, I've had a fantastic and varied career, Tim. I've uh, worked for a number of different organisations from clients, quantity surveyors, contractors, and for the last 10 years, I've been working in academia, really trying to push some of that knowledge that I've acquired and, and educate some students uh, about
1: being sustainable in the built environment and one that serves society. Terrific, Rob. It's great to have you on uh, the podcast today, but of course the first question before we get into the meat and potatoes or for our vegan listeners, the potatoes of the podcast. What did you have for breakfast today?
0: Well, when when, when you say vegan, one of the things that I've done over the last 18 months is actually become predominantly uh, plant based. So I've actually looked at doing things and taking some of those meats. So I'm not eating those sausages or not any meat sausages anyway. Uh, the, the breakfast this morning was actually homemade uh, granola with a little bit of yoghurt, berries, bananas, all really healthy stuff. And I do believe I listened to Steve Fox and it was exactly the same breakfast that he had. So maybe there's
1: something in that. Well, maybe we're setting a trend. Uh, maybe. maybe we're setting a trend with that. guy. so, of course. Um, I'm not vegan, but today I could have been because uh, I'm a, on a rest day. You know, you probably those who know, I, I, I push weights. So Tuesdays is a rest day. So I had a fairly light breakfast. I had two slices of sort of super wholemeal, extra CD sourdough bread with peanut butter. Uh, and plenty, washed down with plenty of uh, high quality homemade coffee. And now you'll probably see I'm drinking some kaffir. Which is something I've got into, uh, which is that Turkish yogurt drink, which um, I quite like. But it's good for you guys. Is it doing, doing you good, Tim? I believe it is. So um, that's what's important. No, that's right. And it, it makes a change from a bacon sandwich. You can't have that. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway Rob, it's great to have you. And uh, I think we're going to have a very interesting discussion. Yeah. As I said in the intro, there was a series of um, articles in the Times and Sunday Times a week or two ago, which was having a real knock at construction from a sort of completely outside perspective. And I know you read those, it it pricked you a bit, didn't it?
0: It did, it did, absolutely, Tim. And I think, you you know, the articles as much as anything are based on what's happened as a consequence or the perception of the industry primarily because of what's happened at Grenfell. So, you know, it, it is an event to me that is so significant in construction and should be absolutely indicating the way that we need to change things. So the one, one, one of the articles was really quite castigating of the industry, saying that, you know, their, their evidence or what they had looked at in the evidence, their impression was that nobody gave their best. Um, whilst on that project. And and that really just hit home because it just doesn't resonate with me about what we do. And I don't believe it's what most people do. So I think most people go to work wanting to do their best. Most people want to go and do a good job. Nobody wants to go to work and be involved in something that ends up with the consequences of Grenfell. And actually, it's been a driving force for me in, in what I've been teaching my students, you know, in the sense that the last thing I want is any of the students that I um, teach to be involved in a project like Grenfield, and, and absolutely nobody, nobody wants to be involved in it. So the the issue as is much from there is, this is the perception that the majority of people get. They read media. This is the perception that they get that construction isn't good enough and they, and they don't care. And, and I that just doesn't resonate with me. I don't know
1: whether it resonates with you, well, I. We've known each other a long time, Robin, We uh, what the great thing is I, I don't think we think exactly the same. We've got different perspectives on the same industry. I mean, I'm with you. I think most people, most people are good. Most people want to do their best you know, for their. Their employer for the projects they're working on for society. And, and that's absolutely the case. And I think. My view is, you know, Grenfell was a mega disaster as well as a tragedy. You know, it was a disaster from the profession's point of view uh, because, as you said, there were failures at many, many levels and within different institutions. So, not just the construction supply chain, there's errors, more systemic errors or problems uh, in the industry. So, I I, th- yeah, but I think that the solutions to um, the construction sector are above and beyond the individual. Although I th- I'm agreeing with you that, you know, getting people rechipped a little bit is important.
0: No, absolutely. And, and and I think sometimes the the industry does get a lot of bad press and it gets bad press because of the likes of it's, it's It's a big issue. We do a lot of fantastic work, and a lot of that fantastic work often gets doesn't get reported. Uh, I think that you know you and I are both involved in constructing excellence, and the constructing excellence awards are a fantastic um, vehicle to go along and just see what what tremendous work happens and how good it can be when it all comes together in the right way. So that doesn't necessarily get reported. I don't, you, you know, I think if we look back this time last year. You know, there was another fantastic illustration of how great the industry can be of actually all coming together when we created the Nightingale Hospitals. And again, I think what what you what, there was a narrative just before that, that we saw China creating a hospital in something like two to three weeks. And, and you could hear people saying we can't do that in this industry, in, in this country. We can't do it. And yet we did it. So. There's something around that that I think is really intriguing that we need to explore more. Why is it we can have projects like Grenfell, but similarly, we can also do fantastic work like
1: the Nightingale Hospitals? Well, yeah, that is an interesting uh, compare and contrast because of course the. Uh, urgency I, that I where you've got alignment on uh, an, an immovable time frame. Or urgency, I and mean, we look at the, uh, the 2012 Olympics. Was seen as you know this fantastic programme of work that delivered exactly what was required of it to an immovable time frame.
0: Well, I and call- I, 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 yeah, you're touching on 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 stuff that will be really important that I would be teaching my students. But sim- similarly, for every 2012 Olympics, that if we look around the world you know, and in the last 10 years, Brazil didn't do the World Cup on time, India didn't do the Commonwealth Games on time. So what was it we did in this country that, that were, were able to deliver that? And I think you can unpack that and there's again, plenty of good information around the legacy that, that, that is material that we can look at. But actually, I think we can possibly go back to a project that I was involved in. So I was involved in Terminal 5 and, and a lot of the people involved in Terminal 5, then transferred over to the Olympics. And I think they took with it some of the mindset that they had acquired from Terminal 5. And there were, there were real significant aspects of that project that really tried to challenge the way the industry works. Uh, at the start of the project, it was said, if we do business as usual for Terminal 5, it will make BAA go bust. So, you you know, because it wouldn't be finished on time, it would be over budget and it wouldn't be to quality. So what was it that needed to happen to transform business as usual into a project that was delivered on time and to budget, etc.? Now, you can unpick all of that. But I think a, a significant aspect of that was actually the culture that was pushed through, pushed through, which focused on. Changing that mindset of business as usual to what they called exceptional performance. And I would challenge how many people out there on projects even think about doing things differently. So business as usual is and we know and there are plenty of evidence out there. And I read something the other day that is only about one percent of all projects that are finished on time on budget and to quality. So those three things, you know. So what is it? What have we got to do to re-evaluate the way that we set projects up for success? So that they're not business as usual; they're actually trying to achieve that next level of exceptional performance. And I think there there was much in Terminal Five that tried to drive those cultures to 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 influence that. And 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 I think the people that got involved in that were then quite significantly involved in in the likes of the London 2012
1: but i i, I would compare that with Crossrail, which um, had all the top people involved in it, uh, and hasn't had the outcome that everyone hoped for, but maybe uh, not an unexpected one. I think
0: I, th- I think we've got a number of things around Crossrail that that we, we that we need to understand. Uh, and I, I don't really want to sort of come across as as if I'm bashing anything around, crossrail. But if you look at the way that it was set up, it, initially it wasn't set up in the same way that the London Twenty Twelve Olympics was set up. It went with one major organisation that was going to construction manage the lot, etc. And they changed that on the way through. For me, if we're talking about perception and coming back to the Times articles, you know, I I took a lot of pride from watching the TV programmes about the way that Crossrail had been set up. And I'm 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 as disappointed as anybody that it's not been delivered on time. I still think that when we go down there we're going to be blown away by the engineering and the scale of it and and how it's all been done and you know i've been fortunate enough to actually see some of some of the stations i saw some of the stations in construction they are awe-inspiring so there, there's still plenty there that we need to do i think and i i and i'm I'm sure there will be, you, you know, uh, appropriate analysis of all these projects and, and whatever. But from my, my understanding of what's happening, actually, there, there, was, there was a lot of good stuff that drove those cultures for improvement. But actually, the incentives for certain projects meant that they were more inclined to actually um, not present the best picture and therefore the truth. Of what was really important didn't come out quickly enough and 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 uh, i think that you, you know there, there's there's much around controls that we need to look at as, as are we really hearing the, the right picture if we're looking at um the shard going up yeah and we know it's 71 floors we can see it's 71 floors tall when you're underground and it's all hidden it's not so easy to see the progress just one other thing I am the technical complexities of that project of trying to get the trains running through. It it, it has to be 100 percent right. Yeah. So that we don't want to be running trains through, you you know, thinking. Steve Fox mentioned last week about would you get on a plane that that isn't it it, it, that, that might not get to the other end? Well, we don't want to get on a train that might not get to the to the next station. We have to make sure that that system works perfectly.
1: Yeah, ob- yeah, obviously, I mean, the the, the um, all of the, uh, what do you call it, the compliance assurance, assurance uh, is in the rail industry is extremely important. Of course, with Crossrail, there's a multitude of different signaling systems that need to interact with each other so that it's complexity on complexity. It is. I mean, I mean, I won't, I can't really go into any too much. I did an awful lot of work with uh, on the Crossrail project back in around 2012. Uh, looking at some of the things we've talked about, and it, it was a because of its complexity, particularly in the complexity of the, the disaggregation of the projects into the various component parts, made it even more difficult to get the collaboration going at the, the sort of level you really wanted to. Um, however, No doubt there'll be some uh, interesting lessons learned, and I'm agreeing with you. Once it's open, the the problems for for most people in the the, well, so people walking down the street, they won't be walking down the street, will they? Will be forgotten because it's a piece of engineering.
0: Exactly, it's a little bit like the Jubilee Line going back all those years when that was was being opened, or the Jubilee Line extension, rather than more than more. You you know, it we we forget about those sort of things now it's operational and i think that becomes a really important point to understand and appreciate
1: right so rob just moving on you you you're calling yourself the mindset coach now that's your sort of strap line so uh, there's been a change over the
0: last six months tim and i think it's probably worthwhile just setting some context of uh gone through uh a number of things in my own life that have made me sort of take a step back and and, and look at what I want to achieve. So yeah, I've, I've put mindset coach. It's it's just something I'm thinking about right now, but certainly something that I see is is, is really important. And I think that comes back to you, you, what I'm going to say is not necessarily easy for me to admit. In in the sense that six months ago I was probably close to burnout. I was I, I was working hard. I thought I was coping, etc. And actually, you know, uh, I wasn't. And there was a little scare for me in in my heart that sort of said, hang on, things ain't working. I'm not looking after myself properly. And I needed to, and I took a breather, uh, fantastic support from from those that are close to me and and, and other people that really gave me a little bit of guidance on, on looking after me. And, whether we, whether we call that well-being, whether we call it mental health, all those sort of things, you know, there's a lot in that that I think is really important. And when I say I was coping, I think yeah, I I potentially was, but I wasn't performing at anywhere near my best. And I, and I think that that again becomes important. So what? What I would bring that back to is, is understanding, you know, we're, we're talking about mindset. I want to make this connection between mental health and mindset. You know, it's all about the mind. And often when we talk about mental health, we talk about it in, in a way that it's not good. We, we, we see it as, oh, you're poor, you're not well. Well, actually, I think you've got to look at mental health in a, in a sense, just like your physical health. You know, it's a scale. You're either really fit or you're not fit. Yeah. Um, where do you want to be? How you, you know, you might not want to be world class fit, but you you might want to just be fitter. So what have you got to do? And I think mental health is much the same. We've got to look at it in, in the sense of what is it we've got to do to look after our mental health, emotional health, physical health, those three three parts, in order to be able to live a happier and healthier life. And I constantly challenge why Why doesn't the industry change? What is it that the industry does that means that, as we come back to what we've just talked about, we can deliver great projects, but we can also have projects like Grenfell. and I think there are plenty uh, uh, of people that in construction that have got mired into a, a mindset that stops them changing, stops them actually thinking differently about doing things. And I'd bring you to. Just sort of i as an academic i think you've got to bring some academia into this and a bit of theory but you know carol dweck's work all around fixed mindset and growth mindsets and i think that there's too much of uh, the industry that has very much a fixed mindset rather than a growth mindset and here what we're talking about is this concept that you, you know we can change I've, I've mentioned earlier on about the fact that you know everybody wants to do their best well actually there's I, I think it's not just doing your best it's actually how can you be better today than you were yesterday and what can you do today that is going to enable you to be better tomorrow and i think that's just part of it if you you know whoever you are whatever you're doing today you know what is it that you can do today that is going to enable you to perform your best and be a little bit better tomorrow and if we could all do that then I think we, you know, we could move some of these things forward. Your point about systemic change, absolutely, M- massive issues. But together we can actually start solving this if we really, really want to. And I think that partly
1: comes from changing that mindset. Uh, that's, um, I'm almost, I'm, this is shocker. I'm going to agree with you because um, one of the things I've noticed over my career is. Construction is very much uh, we, although we don't talk about apprentices. When I'm, I'm talking about management rather than uh, uh, on the tools type apprenticeships, when somebody starts in the industry you, you, nowadays, usually from university with a QS degree or an engineering degree or, or architecture, even, yeah, you know, they they often get teamed up with someone who's in their early 30s, then that's their mentor. And of course, that person's handing down the ways of thinking as much as anything else. And I'm afraid that's one of the things that perpetuates this uh, fixed mindset.
0: Tim, Tim, I, I teach full-time students and part-time students, and I and I and I see it immediately. And you know, when I'm trying to inspire the students to think differently, you know, you know too many of the part-timers sort of say we don't do it that way you know and it and and it's really frustrating that you know they've only been in the industry for two or three years or maybe some of them might might be a little bit longer but they've all already got this mindset that the way that it is is the way that it's done and and that it can't be done
1: differently and that sort of perpetuates things and uh, yeah my my own view or belief is that the For the, for the most part, uh, the, particularly the larger contractors, but you see it elsewhere, that, that the people who rise to the top have become expert at the way things are done currently. And why would you want to change? Because it's risky for you. What's the upside? You're well paid already. Um, and if my own contention is that the, the real problem with construction particularly big construction is the business model doesn't work and it doesn't really matter what you do in terms of adoption of technology for instance which obviously uh, younger people are very keen on uh, and I'm not, I'm not knocking it but that won't make any difference to the industry in, from a shareholders perspective because if it's widely adopted it may become more efficient at delivering projects it might be um, more fun to work your 3d twin 4d 5d twin models on your computer with all the screens around you like i've got here but no 3d models Uh, but it actually won't change the economics of the industry and it won't change uh a lot of the behaviors because they are driven by the fact you've got a zero margin business no, absolutely. Abs- abs- creativity, go, the energy and creativity goes into squeezing money out of your supply chain or the client.
0: So, so
1: then
0: we, we have to question what we're doing and w- whether you're a contractor or not, you choose whether you want to take on that zero, uh, zero uh, profit margin work. You know, there are contractors out there that, you, you know, actually select the work that they want to work on and they win one in two jobs with a reasonable profit margin. Now, they're not massive companies but they do great jobs they've got their own staff there's good quality work they've got a reputation the mod the model can be changed by those and the more that they potentially do that that's better i i i'm going to stray into areas which i'm i'm fairly conscious um a i'm not necessarily uh expert in talking about although procurement and and managing supply chains are there I, I would suggest then you're coming back to this mindset at the top about how do you want to work how do you want to do things differently and do you actually do why do you want to sort of go down a route where you don't pay people yeah uh,
1: etc but, but but I'm, I'm sort of agreeing with you i am coming from a different perspective because the reason people think like that is that's the only way they believe they can make money for their employer or their shareholder. Whereas. If you took a more radical approach about how do we deliver? Not the particular project, but projects. For 10% less cost, you could win any job you wanted and make five times the margin that everyone else does. But how much thought goes into that in reality?
0: Well, and and that's something to be exploited. And I think we've also got then uh, money's important. Don't get me right. And we talk about value for money all the time and and all these sort of things. But I think it's not just the commercial, it's the bigger picture. And I come back to if four out of five of your employees apparently are not very happy. Yeah. So they're not giving their best. Yeah and and i am sort of proof of that in my pr- recent previous experience i turned up i did a job i did what i needed to do there was nothing necessarily outwardly wrong with what i did but i wasn't giving my best and you, you, you know uh, or sorry the organization wasn't getting the best from me yeah so if we're not treating people properly or we're not we're not looking after people. Then how are organisations going to to deliver their best? And I think you, you you know I want to pick up on your point about uh, digi- uh, digital as a point and, and and just highlight something really important because obviously you know BIMs come in. It's supposed to be the 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 the, the solution that's going to really radically improve the world. I I, I disagree. Okay, in in the sense that it won't, just like you, just like you said, it won't. However, however, if we look at this, not about digital transformation, but transformation enabled by technology and understand how we need to use that technology, then then it can drive that change. I think that if you you only have to look back over time. You know, 30 years ago, we weren't using technology, really, you know, and yet now, look, at us, I'm, I'm looking around me. I've got my phone. I've got my tablet. I've got my computer, you, you know, all around me, technology is all around us. And, and they're all connected. They're all seamlessly. It's the way of the world. It's what what needs to happen. And construction absolutely has to grab hold of this to understand what that that means. But the mindset is all too much. It costs too much. Yeah. Why do we need to? We don't need to change. We've already got all the information that we need. Yeah. Oh, and clients don't ask for it. It's crazy. It absolutely drives me mad because there's plenty of examples out there, Tim, where people have actually looked at using technology
1: that can then enable change. You're right. Now, I'll just on that one last point and I'll have to wrap up because okay. I'll I can get told off by Sarah, the director. In the Sunday Times, this Sunday, there was what they call Lux magazine, which is full of fashion and watches and stuff like that. They had a feature on the, you know, the latest. They call them prefabricated houses. We call them, you know, the man, off-site manufactured type property houses. They used a number of examples from around the world, um, and they mentioned that Amazon and Google were moving into this field principally to make lower cost housing for their own employees. Now, if that doesn't make the industry shudder, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's people who. who aren't. Messed up by being told by their mentors and their mentors mentors that we. We were building stuff like this in the 19th century. We're not gonna, we don't need to change. If, no, get, absolutely. if the, Amazon start deciding they're going to go into housing, I'd be a bit worried if I was in that game.
0: Absolutely. So change in industries happen in a number of ways. It, internally, incremental change, some in tra- transformational change or from new entrants and the housing market absolutely uh, could, could be transformed that way. The, the challenge with a lot of the house building, and I think Steve Fox was talking about it. Uh, as well recently, is it's about the value of the land, not the value of the product that you're building on it. And and in the UK, we have this issue. So the, again, it's a very, very complex issue. And we're talking about improving the process of the production of, of the house. And absolutely that could be done. And um, there's plenty of lessons to learn about that. For me, one of the key things for me is what is it we need to do to actually have affordable housing for, for the younger generations, I, I've got two kids, you know, I, I'm, I'm fearful about how they are going to, um, I don't want to push them out. I want them to live independently. I want them to be doing what I was doing in my early 20s, which was living on my own, learning how to survive and, you know, use the washing machine and all those sort of things. And I know they can do it in my house, but I want them to have their own space that they can live in and, and as I say, live independently.
1: Well, on that point where we're aligned completely I, I think it's time to wrap up this uh, very very interesting conversation it's been very insightful and thank you again Rob for joining me today uh, where can our listeners and viewers get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you've said
0: so um, I'm I'm I've, I've got my profile on LinkedIn so if you look Rob Garvey up on LinkedIn um, social media on 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 at rob underscore at uh, twitter so but LinkedIn probably is 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 the first first
1: place okay. that's great we'll put all that in the show notes so uh if you if you want to look it up afterwards in the show notes so wonderful and uh to all of our listeners today thank you for tuning in i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the construction big breakfast we have a new episode every two weeks although we might be publishing more recent uh, more often than that because we're, we're getting a bit a bit of a backlog so click the subscribe button and uh, turn your notifications on so you don't miss a single episode while you're at it we'd appreciate a five-star review and if you've enjoyed this episode today please like it and share it uh, as it helps us to gain more listeners if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast uh, or looking to collaborate in other ways visit uh, us at www.invent.com and remember that's two ends at the end The link's in the description. Fill out the contact form so one of our team can get in touch. So with that, see you next time. Bye. Want to learn more about how Invent can
0: help your business maximize its bottom line? Head on over to www.invent.com and get in touch with our team today. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.